So we're out here, actually this, where we've come to today is in Carkeek Park. This is called Piper's Orchard and all around me are nut trees and fruit trees and some people may think I'm a little fruits and nuts, but that's okay. Uh, sorry, bad dad joke today. But we're out here in this orchard to talk about something about discipleship. And it all goes to this apple right here. So I've got an apple with me today and I'm gonna cut this apple open. These are actually behind me as an old growth apple tree and there are apple trees here in this orchard. And one of the things that Washington State is known for is the apple orchards that we have all around the state. And so if you come and you cut open an apple, you start to see that there are some seeds in this apple and there are multiple seeds in here. Now the thing about these seeds is we could have a great time uh, eating the apple, but in this seed is a whole nother apple tree. And out of that apple tree, more fruit would grow, more seeds would be made, and then out of those seeds, more apple trees could grow. And so from this one seed could come a whole orchard. Think about that. I want you to think about how out of this one little seed of the apple, this whole orchard around me could actually grow from that one seed. This is because within life, within organic life, within biology, the way God created things, God created things for reproduction. And within the seed of the apple is a potential for a whole orchard to happen. And that's what we're talking about today is that disciples reproduce themselves. Disciples pass on their faith to others and to the point where we, God wants to see God's kingdom grow just like the orchard grow and bearing fruit and wants us to see us as disciples as an orchard growing fruit in our lives and wanting to produce other trees and other fruitful disciples in our lives. So today we're talking about that as we talk about the text that we're looking at today out of Luke chapter 10. We heard in the text today Jesus actually sending out his disciples. And I actually love the way that the contemporary English Bible puts it. And Luke 10 verse 2 says this, The harvest is bigger than you can imagine, but there are a few workers. Therefore, plead with the Lord of the harvest to send out workers for his harvest. And I love the way that CB puts that because it says, you know, the harvest is bigger than you imagine. That's the way that Jesus is thinking here. So the issue for Jesus is not, that there's, there's not enough fruit. The issue is there's not enough laborers, co-laborers, disciples to go and help gather in the fruit. And so this is, a, this is a dilemma for the kingdom. And he's actually seeing and thinking and imagining a great harvest. And I, as last week we talked about, we've talked about the past couple of weeks, this discipleship triangle that we need to be with Jesus and we need to be with Jesus so that we can learn to think like Jesus, have the mindset of Jesus, and then that we would go out and act with Jesus and do and be the hands and feet of Jesus. And so we've talked about this. Now, if we're going to think like Jesus thinks, then here is a great place for us to start. Notice how Jesus is thinking. He's thinking that the harvest is bigger than you and I can imagine. I want you to imagine that within the city of Seattle, the metro area of Seattle, there are 3,461,000 people living in the Seattle area. That's a lot of potential fruit in our orchard, right? That's a lot of thing. That's a lot. That's a big harvest. Now, if we have that mindset, if we think like Jesus, we see the opportunity. We see the potential 
uh, just like God sees the potential in that apple seed, God sees the potential in our city to make disciples, to go and make disciples, right? And so we're thinking about this. And so he has, Jesus has this abundance mindset, right? We see this other places of the gospel. And yet at times we can have what's called a scarcity mindset. And a scarcity mindset is where we don't see enough or having enough. We don't see abundance. We see scarcity. And when a person has a scarcity mindset, here's what happens. They tend to focus on the here and now. They tend to consume what they can in the moment rather than think about the future. So uh, someone who has a scarcity mindset is, is not going to plant an orchard. They're not going to plant seeds. They're not going to think of the future. They're not going to think of the potential. They're just going to consume what they can right now. And disciples are not consumers. They're actually people who see the future of discipleship and want to be a part of producing fruit in their lives and not just consuming the fruit right now. So that's the difference between an abundance mindset and a scarcity mindset. I also think, you know, a lot of times we feel like we don't uh, want to reach out to our neighbors or our friends and let people know that we're a Christian because we have this scarcity mindset. We're we're afraid of rejection or that they might not like us or that they might even hate us or have bitterness towards us. And that's, a, that's something that we are going to have to face as well. But I, do, I don't believe that, and I don't think we believe that people want religion, right? We're, that's not what we're giving people. We're offering them love, the love of God. We're offering them the love of Christ. We're offering them forgiveness. Uh, we're offering them mercy and grace. We're offering them a transformed life. We're offering them this, the, 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 this idea that, that they're created in the image of God and God wants them to live out that image in their lives. And so these are good things that I think all people, all over three, all 3.5 million people in the area would want to know about God and would want to see happen in their very lives. And so we're not offering a religion, we're offering a way of life found in Jesus that can change people's lives for the better and that a life with Jesus is better than a life without Jesus. And the next thing Jesus says in that passage that we heard read today, Luke 10, it says, he commands us actually, he, he commands the disciples. He sends out the 72 disciples, not 12, but 72 now disciples and he sends them out and his first word is this, go, listen to it again, go, exclamation point. Be warned though, that I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves. Now, it's interesting, I find it interesting that Jesus didn't use the word sheep, he uses the word lambs. So lambs are even more vulnerable to wolves than sheep are. And so again, we may think, oh, I'm not gonna go, I'm not gonna obey this command of Jesus to go make disciples, to go and to be sent out into the neighborhood and in the community. I'm gonna ignore that command because I'm just a lamb, you know, I'm vulnerable, right? And if we just think that way, if we think we're just lambs being led to the wolves, that's a scary proposition. I don't think I would want to be a lamb to go walk among wolves. What lamb would want to go walk among wolves? And it feels like that at times. Like sometimes being this disciple in our city feels like a lamb going to the wolves, right? But we forget another part of that verse. And here's the other thing. I want you to focus in on another key word in that verse. It says, Go, that's the command of Jesus. Be warned, though, that I'm sending you. I'm, I am is sending you. So think about this. If we back out, we realize who's sending us. Jesus is sending us. And this means 
that Jesus goes with us. So it's not a lamb all by themselves going out to the wolves. It's a lamb going with the shepherd. And what does the shepherd do? Protects, loves, cares for the lamb. Carries the lamb on his shoulders, even if needed, right? And so this idea is that we don't go alone. We go with the great shepherd. We go with that shepherd that wants to be a part of our lives and walk with us. And so we're going as lambs and with the great shepherd. You know, and this idea is that God will protect us. God will love us, that that's not going to change even if we face the wolves our day. Notice that even back in the Old Testament, when, when God called Moses to go to the Israelites and go to Pharaoh, the, the king of all wolves, uh, Moses, what did, Moses asked the question, who should I say is sending me? And who is? I am. I'm sending you. God is ascending you, Moses. And notice that Moses didn't want to go either. Moses was, was, didn't really want to go and listen to what God was asking him to do, but he went because God went with him. And everything, as hard as it was, God went with him and God saw Moses through all that God had called Moses to do. Jesus, the great shepherd, the I am, is calling us to go to go make other disciples, to spread the message of the kingdom of God among us. And so disciples always know who they're going with and who they're going, whose authority they're going with and acting with, going back to that discipleship triangle that we talked about. Notice that Jesus is not asking us to disciple everybody we meet, but actually he says, go find that person of peace. And so when we go, we actually look for that person of peace, the person who's open to what God wants to do in their lives, and not necessarily we're supposed to everybody we meet. In fact, that's exactly what Jesus does. He meets a woman, a woman at the well in Samaria, and he goes to the well, and when he meets her, he just talks to her. He has a conversation with her, and then she, after meeting Jesus, goes and tells her friends, and then they come and meet Jesus, right? So Jesus only talks to one person, uh, one woman at the Samaritan well, and then out of that one person, other people come to know about Jesus. That's the same with us. We're to find those people of peace in our lives that are open to that message of the kingdom and the message of the gospel and have that conversation with them and disciple them. Our job is not to disciple everybody we meet. And that's what Jesus is saying to his disciples. You know, go find that person of peace. Find that person that is open to the gospel that God's already prepared to hear the gospel message. And then what happens here is something that church planting training talks about is called the 222 principle. Uh, if you've ever been aware of church planter training, Four Fields church planter training, which missionaries use, uh, one of our own missionaries, Hani Salah, teaches this. And one of the principles in there is called the 222 principle, which refers to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, 222. And this is what it says. It says, take the things you heard me say in front of many other witnesses and pass them on to faithful people who are also capable of teaching others. And so we have Paul talking to Timothy. And so Paul is telling Timothy. So you've got really four generations here. Paul tells Timothy. Timothy passes that message on to capable and faithful others. And then that those teachers and people tell others. And so you've actually got four generations that, so what Paul is doing is Paul is reproducing discipleship. He is planting seeds that then get passed on and then get passed on. And so that's a great question for us. Have we made another disciple? And here's another question. Have we made another disciple that makes disciples, right? And so that's reproducing. That's reproduction. 
that God is, and that's the way the kingdom actually grows according to Jesus' teaching in the Gospels. And so this is the same thing that we're supposed to be doing as disciples. And so we go, we're like lambs being sent to wolves, and we're going, though, not to find the wolf, but to find those who are persons of peace who are open to that message. Now, one of the concerns is that if we don't do this, right, if we don't pass on the message, the DNA of the kingdom, the gospel message of Jesus Christ, what happens, right? What if it, it, it are we the generation that it stops with? I've actually experienced this. Uh, my great-grandfather was, a, was an immigrant from Ireland. And uh, when he immigrated to the United States, he came through Savannah, Georgia. So I am the fourth generation of his. So my great-grand, my, he was my great-grandfather, my grandfather, my father, and then me. So that's four. And my great-grandfather immigrated here, and he immigrated with his brother, who was also Irish. And his brother was married to an English woman, and her last name was Poole. Now, when they immigrated to the United States, they were treated very poorly as immigrants. Um, much of what we see happening in immigrants today was happening to Irish immigrants at the time that they came to the United States. In fact, if you go back in history, you can compare how the Irish were treated versus how, for say, the Germans were treated. They were treated differently. Unfortunately, uh, Irish were treated almost and just a notch above that that time black uh, folks in the United States. And so they weren't treated well at all. It was hard for them to get jobs. So everything we see immigrants going through today happened to the Irish as well when they immigrated to America. So every immigrant goes through this, unfortunately goes through this uh, for a lot of different reasons. And the point is this, is that when they came to the United States, they changed their name. I don't even know what my last name is what my our Irish last name would be today. I have some assumptions and guesses about that. But because when they came, they took the pool name, the English name, and replaced their Irish last name with an English name. They did that on purpose. And I don't even remember my grandfather ever even saying anything about being Irish, ever having an Irish accent. So basically our Irish heritage was wiped out in one generation because it didn't get passed on to, to my father and to me. And so, and that was reason for that. So that's so they could get jobs and that they wouldn't be treated differently and they wouldn't be discriminated against. And so that's something that they went through. My concern, our concern is that if we don't pass on our discipleship to others, if we don't pass on the gospel, the kingdom to other people, it too would erase the gospel, right? It will erase the kingdom message that God has for the world. And uh, in one generation, it can go away, right? It can be forgotten. And uh, thanks be to God, though, that we can do genealogy and DNA and find out more today and re, uh, reignite those historical uh, roots that we have as a family. So thinking about that, when we think about this, I want to just bring us back to this orchard here today. And in this orchard is these trees and they're reproducing and they're making fruit year after year after year. And this orchard is called Piper's Orchard and it was planted in the 1890s. There was a fire in Seattle in 1889 and the Piper family moved here to this area and planted this orchard in the 1890s. So these trees that are here in this orchard are over a hundred years old. And here's the cool thing. 
they're still producing fruit, right? It's not about the age of the tree, it's how they're cared for and tended for. In fact, in 1983, a group of volunteers came to this orchard and restored it, did pruning. And one of the things about pruning these trees is that one of the things to keep an apple tree producing fruit, you actually have to prune off the old growth. And you can see that on some of these trees. You prune off the old growth so that the nutrients feed the new growth on the trees. And those new branches begin to produce new fruit and more fruit and abundant fruit. And so I think about that too in our own lives, in our own discipleship. Are, are there old growth patterns that we have in our discipleship where we just have these old growth patterns, these old behaviors that we need to really just cut off from our lives? And to bring about new fruit, we're going to have to experience new ways of being disciples. And we're going to have to grow in new ways. And we're going to have to stretch ourselves and, and go and be disciples and make other disciples. That would be a new shoot for the church. That would be a new growth pattern for us as disciples to actually go share our faith and spread the kingdom message in our neighborhoods and in our communities. That would be a new way. And in that new way, God would bring new growth and new fruit so that we make disciples that make disciples. And the other thing I love about this orchard over 100 years old is that not only is that it's still producing fruit, but it doesn't matter the age of the tree, does it? It matters how that tree is cared for, garden. And I love the fact that in our church at First Free, we have some retired folks that are investing and making disciples of other people. They're spending their time investing in another generation of disciples. And that's, they, 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 that's what it's about because they didn't say, hey, I'm retired. I'm done making disciples. They said, we're going to use our retirement to continue to make disciples that make disciples. And I love that about some of the folks here at First Free that are doing that. And we want to keep doing that. We want to keep nurturing that as a church. So pray about that. Pray about how God could use the seeds of the gospel planted in you to make another disciple. Let's pray together. God, thank you for being with us. Thank you for sending Jesus who had this mindset of an abundant harvest, that he had a way of thinking that was abundant thinking. And Lord, it's so hard for us at times. We can get so caught up in our own fears and concerns and worries. And we can have this kind of uh, mentality where we just shrink in and we just onto ourselves and into our small groups and into it. Never really think about the others in our neighborhoods, in our communities that are maybe right, even right now ready to know that God loves them, that you love them, God, that you want Christ, them to be Christ followers, to forgive them and to help them live out the image of God in their lives. So, Lord, I pray for us, each of us listening to this message, that you would open up opportunities for each of us to share that seed of the gospel, to share the love of Christ with others around us and let them know, God, that you want to be a part of their lives as well. And that it's not about religion. It's about a relationship with you, Jesus, and with God and with the Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name that we pray together. Amen.